Well, are you glad to be here? Let me hear you one time. And let me say welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Thank you so much for being with us. No matter where you are, we're so glad that you are in this with us as we finish up a series that we've been in called The Goat, The Greatest of All Time, 23. And we're actually looking at Psalm 23. Now, let me kind of stop for just a moment to let you know about something. We have people in the house today. It is our senior day, and they have family here with them, and so we're so excited uh, that you have been with us, and uh, something a little bit later on just for you guys being here, and so we're glad that you're here, and of course, we are super glad that you're with us again. Uh, let, let me kind of start by saying this. Last week, I caught a little bit of flack online from some people because I made this statement that Larry Bird was the guy I wanted to be like when I was growing up, so let me just kind of back up preface it all for you, and then I'll get to Michael Jordan, okay? I grew up in a basketball family, loved basketball, and Larry Bird was the man. Three-point shooter, still arguably, arguably, one of the greatest shooters of all time, and that was my go-to, was my three-point shot. So Larry Bird was the guy, and it's true. In my sixth-grade yearbook, I actually wrote beside my little picture, I want to play for the Boston Celtics when I grow up. That didn't work out. So seventh grade comes along and Michael Jordan hits the scene. When he hit the scene, all eyes turned off of whoever they were watching play and it went to Michael Jordan. My eighth grade year is when I wanted to start becoming Michael Jordan, because we look a whole lot alike as it is. So I thought, surely I can pull this off. So let me show you my basketball team's picture in my eighth grade yearbook. This is it right here. Now, you'll notice <laughs> I got number 22. The reason is we didn't have number 23. So I took the closest that I could get, right? Now, but there's also something else about this picture that no one really knew what I was doing, but I'm being vulnerable with you right now because I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Number 22, there I am. There is something about me that no one else in the picture is doing or no one else in the picture actually has. I don't know if you can identify it or not, but I'm going to give you a little clue. If you remember Michael Jordan coming out his rookie year, dunk contest is really when he hit the scene. He had like this chain necklace. It was like a choker. If you don't remember it, this was, this was him. Look at me. I look just like him. I thought, dude, I am pulling off Michael Jordan as an eighth grade basketball player. So for all of you bird haters, I went with Michael Jordan the best I could. And uh, just to let you know, this is just kind of like my claim to fame here. Uh, my next year as a freshman, I uh, made the varsity team and I scored 37 points against a dude who was guarding me that went on to play for the Chicago Bulls. That's like scoring 37 against Jordan. That's how I see it anyway. Um, it, now, here's what's interesting. Uh, our team, um, we were, we, I almost said we suck. Well, we're in church. We sucketh. I mean, it was horrible. We won one game my eighth grade year. So we could use a lot of advice for MJ back then. How in the world, what's our next step? Uh, how in the world do we do this? 
That's what the series is about, but it's a little bit more than that. Because in Psalm 23, it's not just that we're trying to get information from God. It's that we're trying to dial into God himself. You see, Psalm 23 isn't about God just helping you. It's about God being with you. Psalm 23 is not just about you praying to God and him answering your request. It's about you realizing you're actually speaking to a God who has promised he is with you. That's how Psalm 23, the anthem of Psalm 23, the umbrella of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So I will lack absolutely nothing. I have everything I need because he is with me. This is a game changer in your prayer life, by the way. Whatever you're going through, when we truly believe he's with us and we, absolute, we need absolutely nothing, this is a game changer. We would no longer pray, God, would you help me? We flip it over to say, God, thank you for being with me and you will help me. It's not in our prayers like, have you ever prayed this? God, would you please be with me today? Why do we pray that? It might be we've never been taught or it might actually be that we don't really believe He's with us. So we don't need to pray, please be with me. The prayer reverses and flips over on itself to say, thank you for being with me today. See, Psalm 23 is not about God helping us because we're losing on our team in life. It's that God is with us. Therefore, we will always come out on top regardless of the circumstances. This is written by David, and this is what he has been saying to us, that the Lord is my shepherd, so I will not want. He leads me. He guides me. He settles me in green pastures, and he leads me beside waters of rest because my life gets so insanely crazy. So he knows I need to settle down and breathe. So he knows how to do that in my life. He knows how to restore my soul. We talked about this last week, that the word restore actually means bring back. Why? Because as sheep, we're stupid. Glad you're here. Hope that encourages a whole lot. Being called a sheep is not a compliment. And I'll show you in just a minute of why that is. Just one example of why that's not a compliment. So we tend to wander off and he knows us about us. But as a loving shepherd, he comes to find us and he restores our soul. He brings us back to himself, to paths of righteousness. Why would he do that? For his namesake, his name and his reputation is what's online for the entire world to see and to know what kind of shepherd is this God of yours. So he always brings us back. And he brings us back. And when he does, he just wants to assure us. And I just want you to know that I'm gonna be with you. I'm with you. And by the way, I have a rod and I have a staff. They're going to comfort you. They're going to guide you. They're going to protect you. I love that Jesus carries a club. He will kill and destroy anything that he needs to kill and destroy. I love this about him. And Psalm 23 says, so you do not ever need to fear the valley of the shadow of darkness of death because he will walk with you and be with you. Today, when we pick it up in verse 5 and try to wrap up the Psalm 23, here's what verse 5 actually says for us. You prepare a table before me. Now, this might actually seem kind of odd to us. 
when you consider the context. Because if you grew up in church, maybe you remember just hearing about Psalm 23. Maybe you memorized it growing up. Maybe you uh, kind of learned it if you ever went to VBS, you know. And it, how many VBSers did we have in here? Anybody? You hit all the vacation Bible schools because your parents took you there just because they wanted you to get away from them. And so you remember doing the macaroni snowmen, and then maybe you learned about Psalm 23. Well, this passage, we can just kind of blow past. However, there's so much depth in what David is saying in the culture that he was living in when he penned these words, you prepare a table, you prepare a table before me. Now, here's why, because we need to understand the culture. If you look at a picture, you can actually see here, this is a Bedouin tent in Israel. It's made out of goat hair. And today, if you go over, you might see a tent like this. However, it's kind of replaced itself um, with 10 shanties that you will actually see all throughout Israel's of where a Bedouin, a shepherd, would actually reside. But back in the day, this is what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob would have actually had this tent. If you go down to Judea, here's a picture of a Bedouin tent that you can see out in the desert area where a shepherd would be able to take his sheep or his goat out and just walk. And if you remember, this will be important in just a moment, that a shepherd would cover five square miles a day with their sheep. Going to find green pasture, knowing where the still waters are, taking care of their sheep. Um, you can actually see this picture. I love this picture of this shepherd. You can actually see the, the goat sheep in the background, and this would be the the tent that he actually resi resides in. And here's what I want us to learn because I believe this is what David is saying to us. There is a responsibility on the owner of the tent. It's true today, just like it was true then. Now, David is writing, David would not have lived in a tent like this. It would have been a little bit more in a communal setting, but the rules for hospitality would remain the same. The rules for hospitality would be this. If you are invited into a tent, you are responsible for providing for the person you're inviting into your tent. Not only are you responsible for providing for them with all of their needs for, for drink, for food. This is actually inside of a, a tent that when you go and you want the experience, this is what it would look like. That you would experience from the owner of the tent, the shepherd himself, to provide all of your needs for you, but it went one step further. The owner of the tent and the shepherd would also be responsible for protecting you. It's the rules of hospitality. And that even today, they would guard you, protect you, lay down their life for you before they ever would their own family. So when you are invited to a table in a shepherd's tent, it is a huge honor because they are inviting you into their space, their world, their life, and they are saying to you, whatever happens to you will be my responsibility. Whatever comes your way that bothers you will bother me. But not only will I protect you, I will also provide for you. Now, David actually pins something else to this verse that's so fascinating as well, because he ends this this one verse by saying this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this is fascinating because the picture that he's given is that God will actually invite you into the tent, his tent to share a meal with you. And in doing so, there are enemies all around you outside of the tent. 
Now, we don't know what perspective David is coming from. Is he coming from writing this as Saul is chasing him, which you read in Scripture would happen? So he's thinking of Saul as the enemy. Maybe it was the Moabites trying to track him down. Maybe it was the Philistines. Maybe it was the Mosquito Bites. I mean, there's all kind of options, right, in the Old Testament with David. What we do know is that David is saying to us, God invites you in, in the presence of your enemies. You say, well, what is my enemy? Your enemy is anything that would attempt to destroy your life is your enemy. Anything that might take you off of course is your enemy. Depression, anxiety, temptation, debt, relational struggles, internal struggles, sleepless nights, anything that would pressure you internally or externally seeking to destroy you would be your enemy. Now, you actually see this in the New Testament as well. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? The wee little man, wee little man was he? He wasn't the smallest guy in the Bible though. Nehemiah was. But anyway, this is as good as it gets, people. Sorry, don't stay with us online. So here's the deal though. Whenever you read the story of Zacchaeus, you actually find the story taking place from a tree to a dinner table. That Jesus would look at a guy not well liked by the community and where does he go? to Zacchaeus' house. Why? To share a meal with him. When you read the story, the story has the enemies surrounding both of them. The story goes on to say outside were the murmurers, murmurers, just murmuring, 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 murmuring. That's, that's what it sounds like when you murmur. And so they're murmuring. But what you find is Jesus looking at Zacchaeus in my words, saying, don't worry about the enemies. Yes, they want to kill me. Maybe after you start following me, they want to do the same. But don't worry, let's just share a meal together. It's fascinating. You find this over and over played out with Jesus in different ways. David is picking up on this, wanting you to know it's not out of the valley that God invites you to be with him. It's in the valley that God invites you to be with him. It's not away from your enemies because that's what we want. I just want to escape. It's in the presence of your enemies. And this is what David picks up on. And he says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And the verse goes on and here's what it says. You anoint my head with oil. Now this is true that olive oil was used for a number of different reasons, medicinal purposes. They used it before cooking. They used it while cooking. They used it after cooking. Olive oil was used all over the place. As a shepherd, it is true that you would pour olive oil on a sheep's head. Why would you do this? Because sheep are dumb. If they get a gnat or a bug that would go up their nostril, it could get in the cavity of their nostril and in their brain. And what a sheep would do would find a rock or a tree and just bang their head against it and die. This is what a sheep would do. So that would be used. If you've ever heard that reference, it's true. However, I don't believe that's the reference that David is using here. The word anoint, there are two Greek words. One for anoint is what would be used for a king, to anoint a king. That's not the word that is used here. 
the word used for anoint is different. It's the word refresh. You refresh my head. So in the context of a host, a good host, when you came in, would give you olive oil for your face, uh, olive oil for your hands. Why? To refresh you. You've been walking. You've been traveling. Come in and let me please take care of you. Here's some olive oil for you to be taken care of. So you refresh me. And then it says, uh, here's a, a picture, by the way, in the fifth century of Egypt. How do we know this? Because you can see on top of their heads these jars full of olive oil, and the oil would actually uh, go down the lady's hair to clean their hair, and it would slowly go down their face to glisten their face. Don't you want to bring this back? Isn't that, a, isn't that an attractive picture, by the way, guys? You're going to bed, and your wife comes in with a cone on her head with olive oil going everywhere. You're like, okay, this is different. All right, let's roll with this. I mean, it's just like weird, but this was part of, this was part of what would happen with olive oil. And I believe this is what David is actually referring to. This is actually a picture of an olive oil vase that would have been used back in the day as well. And David goes on, and here's what he says. Verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. It's a beautiful picture of a good host who, when you come in, he's actually providing for you. And keep in mind, as a Bedouin, <clears throat> as a shepherd, to provide at a table, water would be expensive to even have. Now, I believe in this context as well, David is actually referring to wine. Wine would symbolize joy. It would symbolize intimacy. It would symbolize a good time that we're having together. And David is saying, this is what I desire for us to have. God, this is what I want with me and with you, that there's joy, there's communion that we can have. So I believe it is a wine cup that he's actually referring to that a good host would actually provide. In Psalm 104, you find all of these elements together, by the way, just in case you want to reference. Psalm 104 verse 15 says this, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil that makes their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. You see it all together. So what is David teaching us about God? God is a generous host. He is not stingy. He is generous. And what he provides for your life, what he desires as a good shepherd, is to give you an abundance in the presence of your enemies. Now, I love what Louis Giglio actually said about this. Here's what he said, and I think it's so fascinating. In the presence of your enemies, you should still be aware not to give the enemy a seat at your table. Isn't that true? Students, listen to me. Seniors, listen to me. Students online, listen to me. At any moment, an enemy could come in, the enemy, and sit down at your table and just start a conversation with you. How are you doing? You good? I, I mean, I've been watching. You are. You're killing it. I don't know. I don't know. Couldn't go with number 23, but you got 22. I love that. That was awesome. How do you know if the enemy has taken a seat at your table? Listen to me. Seniors, please listen. Whenever he tries to convince you there's a better table, that's when you know you've allowed the enemy to take a seat at your table. And for some of you going off to college, you will have more freedom 
than you've ever had in your life. You will have more voices in your head than you've ever heard in your life. And the only voice coming from the enemy will be the one to get you away from this table with them. And it comes in different ways. It comes in different ways. You think he, you think he really is a generous host? You should see what I'm providing you. <laughs> that table over there, oh man. Girls go wild. I mean, you you, you got to get over to that table. Just trust me. Just trust me. Listen, when you were going to church, you couldn't do the weekend thing. I get it. Your parents, I get it. Your small group leader, I get it. But now, think how much freedom you have. I'm just telling you. You got to get over to that table. That's the table where life is really found. When you hear that voice, you have allowed the enemy to sit down at your table. And in a moment, you could walk away from the shepherd who is sitting down with you. And all he's wanting to do is share a meal with you and provide for you and to be generous to you. And this is why the Bible says, listen, listen, this is why the Bible says all of us as sheep have gone. Can you finish it out loud? Astray. You want to know why? We buy the lie. And we get up from the table going, I think you're right. Where's the better table? This, it, it is. It's a little louder. It's a little flashier. I think this is a better table for me. Let me sit down and try this table. All of us like sheep have gone astray. And then when he comes to rescue and return and redeem your soul, that's what a shepherd does, to return your soul. Get ready. Get ready. Oh, you're back? You think he's really going to love you now? The very one, the enemy who tempted you for another table now condemns you for coming back to this table. You don't really think he's going to love you. I mean, come on, dude. I saw what you were doing at the other table. You know he saw you doing what. And this is what the enemy does. God is a generous host. And we all have heard the temptations to leave the table. I would even argue we've all left the table at some point. And that's why I love what David says in the very last verse. Because it's then we start wondering what God really thinks about us. What does the good shepherd really think about us in the moment? I love the first word of the last verse. Surely. Surely. Surely, I know the voice. I know the voice of the enemy. I know what he's caused me to do before, but I'm just telling you back at the table. And he's writing this story as a shepherd who's traveled five miles of the day, square miles. He's come in for the tent. God has taken care as a good shepherd to clean him, to glisten him, to take the sweat off of him, to provide water for him that he's needed along the journey. And he goes, Surely, surely, as I get up from this tent, I've got to take my sheep home. Surely, surely, I should know this, that goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And the picture is of this shepherd who has now enjoyed a meal with the, 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 the individual sitting down with the shepherd. And now it's time for this shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, this shepherd to go home with his sheep, going back to where he needs to take his sheep to comfort them, to take care of them, 
to make sure they're okay. And it's like the picture that David gives is a shepherd who's going back home and he begins to hear something. You have the, the sun going down, it's getting dark and he hears some rustling. He needs to lead the sheep in front, but behind he's a little, he's a little concerned and a little worried. What's gonna happen behind me? What about my sheep behind me? And here's how David actually says this. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. The word goodness, so fascinating. It is the exact same word that is used in Genesis 1. When God made and it was good, God made and it was good. It's the word good. God made and it was good. God made and it was good. God made and it was good. Then Genesis 3, it all falls apart. David picking up on this in Psalm 23 saying, even when your world falls apart, his goodness is going to follow you. God can bring good out of any situation and he will follow you. He says, surely goodness and love, the word love that he chose to use is the word hesed. We have no English description to describe it perfectly. It's too beautiful of a word. It's too deep of a word. Uh, the, the, the words that I chose to use would be this, surely goodness and faithful, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life that God is faithful, why would he still be faithful when we walked away from the table? Because remember, it's his reputation. It's his name that's on the line as a good shepherd. And it will follow me all the days of my life. The word follow that David actually chose to use is a fascinating word because the word follow actually means chase. That word chase in the Bible, believe it or not, is a word that's actually used for the enemy. It's when the enemy is chasing something to devour and to kill and to destroy. David is actually picking up a word that's used for the enemy, using it against itself to go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I know the enemy wants to chase and destroy me, but what I've learned sitting down with the good shepherd is this, he chases better. He chases, it's, it's just stronger. It's just, it's a better chase, not to destroy me, but when he chases, it's to love me. And we've said this before, listen students, this is so good. God doesn't chase you to pay you back. If David says anything to us, he chases you to win you back. Why? Because he's a good shepherd and he loves you no matter what. And he knows in his wisdom, he knows there's no better table than the one he provides for you. And so when he chases, it's with goodness and faithfulness and love. The way I wrote it down was this, that God, his presence as good shepherd, our wise shepherd goes before us and his heart follows behind us. You know, when you think about sheep, you can think about sheepdogs. <laughs> and it's actually mentioned in Job, believe it or not, sheepdogs. And so the picture that I found that I really like this, you got these two sheepdogs, end of the day, kind of herding these sheep together. And I love that, that goodness <clears throat> and love will follow me. And then it says this at the very end, David wraps it up by saying, surely goodness, his goodness and his love will chase me all the days of my life. And then he adds, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is a journey throughout not only a day, but David is putting an umbrella over his life.
And this is what I love for everyone in the room and even for those of us who are watching online. God's invitation has always been and will always be that he invites us to sit down with him and to share a meal with him. And as a good shepherd, here's what he knows. It's my name and my reputation on the line. So I will be a generous host. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? And in you sitting with me at the table, you will discover that I am a God who's not against you, but I am a God who is for you. And I'm not a God who wants to condemn you. I'm a God who wants to love you because you are valuable to me. When you hear a voice that says, you're never gonna make it through this. This world will be better without you. It is not his voice. Another voice has joined the table and God will say, I promise you, goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. And one day, when it's all said and done, you'll be with me for all of eternity. And that's my question for you. That's my question for you. Do you know that you know that if something were to happen, that you would be with him for all of eternity because he is a God who knows your name, knows what you're going through, and who has a plan for your life? If that's never happened to you, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Would you pray with me? If that's you, just say to him, God, I want you. I need you. I admit that I've wandered off from your table and I want to come home. Thank you for being a good shepherd who comes to find me, not with condemnation, but with love and goodness. So the best way I know how I say yes to you, I say yes to you becoming my boss, my leader, my Lord, and my friend. Thank you for providing a way home for me through the cross, the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. You proved that you are a shepherd who will lay down his life for a sheep because you love so greatly. And I want to say thank you for that. And the best way I know how, I just commit to sitting down with you and knowing your heart for all the days of my life. And thank you for promising me that one day, one day, I will see you face to face. And thank you for promising me in the meantime, you will never leave me, never forsake me. And in the valleys of life, not only will we make it through it, you will prepare a feast for us to sit down together. You are a good God, and I love you. In your name I pray, amen.